And welcome to Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com. He's Paul Dettino. I'm Lance Meadow. Good to be with you for the next 60 minutes. 201-939-4513 is the telephone number. You could also interact with us on Twitter, hashtag Giants Chat. As always, Big Blue Kickoff Live brought to you by Coors Light. Enter to win the ultimate VIP game day experience courtesy of Coors Light. Text VIP to 90464 for more details. So we are going to get you set for the Minnesota Vikings-New York Giants game as we make our way through the program. And Saquon Barkley is talking to the media as we speak, and he just said through our very own Dan Salamone, Saquon says he is attacking rehab the same way he attacks the weight room. So that's the big news that you were dying to tell me, Paul. Well, I wanted to make sure these people got this because, <laughs> after all, this is the second straight day now that we have seen Saquon oh, Barkley man. out of practice, yes. going through warm-ups, going through a bunch of running and jogging drills with the trainers on the side. And Coach Pat Shermer continues to say that they will not rule him out uh, on Friday is when you have to give an official injury report and status report for the game. And until that time, Coach Shermer is not going to commit. Uh, I highly think that because he hasn't taken any reps in practice, well, that's the that he'll play against the Vikings. But to see him so far ahead of what the norm is for a high ankle sprain, you know, they always talk it's a minimum four weeks. So many people wanted to write that it was between six and eight that he would be out. Well, clearly, clearly by the progress he's made to this point, it looks like it's going to be on the short end, which the shortest I've ever heard for high ankle sprain was four. Yeah, four to eight weeks, four to six weeks was the initial estimate, at least not according to the Giants, but outside experts. So yeah, if he gets back by four weeks, I don't think that's crazy. Certainly it's optimistic right now that he could perhaps get back within four weeks because of the fact that he's been doing some work on the side. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. I understand everybody gets overly excited when they see some video that was posted yesterday and circulated that he was working out on the side. But to me, the key is, Paul, he went down as a DNP yesterday in practice, which means he did not practice. Correct. And that's far more telling and far more important than what he does on the side. So, you know, Sterling Shepard, remember, was doing stuff on the side all throughout the preseason and training camp, and it's not as if they threw him into a game. Well, now, granted, I know it was a meaningless game, but he was making progress with his thumb, but that didn't mean that they were going to throw him out there to take hits in a game. Here's the good news, okay? If you're going to talk about a lengthy absence, maybe eight weeks or so, chances are the guy's going to be in a boot for at least a couple of weeks, Absolutely. and they're not going to let him do anything. Yeah. The fact that he's doing what he's doing, even if it's on the side, does mean that his schedule is a lot more accelerated than most people think. And as Coach Shermer said, hey, that's what, to the media, that's what your doctor said. That's not what our doctor said. The Giants people internally have obviously been very optimistic about his return to be a lot sooner than many people have guessed because so many people just wanted to throw mud against the wall and assume, oh, it's going to be six to eight weeks. When in truth, uh, you know, Saquon Barkley himself probably doesn't know 100% how long it's going to be, but he does know he's doing better. Well, I also think the fact that the Giants did not put him on injured reserve was a sign that clearly they were optimistic he was going to come back within eight weeks as opposed to miss eight weeks entirely. Hello. Hello. Schmelk here yes. um, for the people listening. So Barkley just talked. I yes. figured I'd rather than write it down. some tweets. I would just give you exactly what he said. Okay. Um, he basically said he's going to trust the medical staff. He will does not think he has to practice tomorrow in order to play in the game. He said he's not worried about potentially re-injuring it if he does come back. He thinks that he is healing ahead of schedule. 
Uh, let me think. What else did he bring up? He said he did more today. He was able to run full speed and cut more. And he's progressing, but he didn't want to commit to anything. He, he, he emphasized that he will not fight whatever the Giants trainers or doctors recommend. If you guys have any other questions, I can happily answer them. Or you think yeah. that, that covers yeah, it? It's pretty straightforward. Can, can you get me the yeah. audio? I can get you the audio, yes. <laughs> Thank you very much. Okay. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Okay. John Schmoke with the latest from the locker room in terms of Saquon Barkley and what he had to say with respect to his uh, high ankle sprain as he just uh, spoke with reporters. So we wanted to get you the latest news. But as I was saying before John came on, they had an opportunity, Paul, to put Saquon Barkley on injured reserve. And if you go on injured reserve, that means that you know, you're going to miss at least eight weeks based on that timeline. So the fact that they did not put him on IR, I think gave you the indication that Giants are optimistic that he could come back well, well before eight weeks. And so that alone was at least the first indication. I thought that was a huge hint that yeah. the Giants were giving everybody, but yet nobody in the media wanted to believe it. They were immediately, ah, oh, it's going to be six to eight. Oh, no. no, no. When Coach said he was not a consideration for IR, you knew it was going to be shorter than that. It wasn't hard. They, they, they practically wrote it in the sky with an airplane for you. Absolutely. So, so you know, how, now again, how soon? Who knows? But it's great to, to see that Saquon is doing what he's doing. Alec Ogletree, by the way, with his sore hammy, was on the side today. So, uh, you know, not much progress there. So I, I don't think it looks very good for him. But everybody else who was on the injury report yesterday wasn't full pads, and at least during the media portion of practice. So whether or not they were limited today, the bottom line is uh, I don't think there's much concern of any of those people not being available to play Minnesota. And the players that Paul is alluding to, Lorenzo Carter, Tay Davis, Wayne Goldman, Nate Solder, and Kevin Zeitler. Those are the five players that were on the injury report yesterday. Zeitler did not participate. Everybody else was limited. And Wayne Goldman spoke to the media. We were able to uh, hear him speak with reporters, and he said that that neck injury is absolutely nothing. I mean, just uh, typical soreness, which is what Pat Shermer indicated. So I think that they're looking forward to getting all of those players up and running for this weekend's game. Ogletree and Barkley, in all likelihood, are going to continue to be sidelined. Now, to be cautious, to add one other thing, in talking to Coach Shermer this morning, he did say there were certain things he needed to see Barkley do. He did not quantify it as something that was done in practice. In other words, he didn't say he's got to run practice snaps. He said, I need to see him do certain things before I let him play in a game. And obviously, the medical still has to give him the green light as well. Of course, yeah. well. There's a number of so, different So hurdles. it is entirely possible, as Barkley must have told the, the writers just as we were starting the show, and John reiterated to us, Barkley does not have to necessarily take practice snaps to play in a game. But according to Coach Shermer, there are some things he's going to have to show them. Which is typical for any player that's injured. You know, you have a barometer, and you want to see them pass some of those tests. The other thing to note is there is absolutely no incentive, and I say this with injuries to any player, there's no incentive for Pat Shermer to get in front of the media and make a declaration about Saquon Barkley. Why would you give any extra info that you don't need to to the opponent this week? But the Vikings are also not naive. I think they understand that a player who suffered a high ankle sprain, it would be quite stunning if he returned after missing just one game and a half if you want to classify it based on him missing the second half of the Bucks game. So, the point is to keep Minnesota thinking that maybe there's an outside chance that he suits up. So I don't blame Pat Shermer for not coming out and declaring Saquon Barkley this early in the week absolutely out for Sunday's game. But speaking of the game, let's get into the challenge, Paul, that the Vikings pose as 
the Giants are going to go up against one of the most consistent defenses in the NFL over the last few seasons. This is a unit that's been playing together for a lot of reps and a number of seasons under Mike Zimmer and George Edwards, their defensive coordinator. Just to put things in perspective here, all of their main starters, I would say 11 to 12 guys because it depends on whether or not the slot corner is going to start. They were all there when Pat Shermer was the offensive coordinator. So that just goes to show you the continuity on defense for this group. Eric Kendricks, their middle linebacker, he's having a very strong season as a team high, 33 tackles, three passes defense. Anthony Barr, their strong side linebacker, that's a four-time pro bowler. He's also playing at a high level has one of their sacks on the season. They've got 11. The defensive line's responsible for eight of the 11 sacks. And, I mean, there's playmakers all across this defensive front. You've got Daniel Hunter. He's got three sacks to lead the team. Linville Joseph, who Giants fans are very familiar with. Everson Griffin, who is a three-time Pro Bowler. He's got two sacks. And Shamar Steffen, their other interior defensive lineman, he has a sack. Actually, all four of those defensive linemen that I just named are responsible for eight of their 11 sacks. So you know, this is quite the challenge for this Giants offense as well as Daniel Jones-Paul in terms of what they're going to see from the Minnesota Vikings. And I didn't even name the secondary, which has a number of vets and two pro bowlers in particular in Xavier Rhodes and Harrison Smith. Well, there's another factor that just came across. Tina Savasio of Fox 5 just retweeting something coming out of Minnesota. Stefan Diggs on rumors that he wants out of the Vikings, quote, there's truth to all rumors. I won't be speculating on that. Yeah, he spoke to the media earlier today, Stefan Diggs. Now, if you guys are a bit behind it on this, uh, Diggs apparently was upset that they're not passing the ball downfield more, especially to him. Kirk Cousins on his radio show then publicly apologized, saying, you know what, I know we're not getting the ball downfield enough, blah, 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 blah. Everything seemed to be copacetic. And then all of a sudden, Diggs doesn't show up at practice, and he's AWOL. And so the rumors started flying out of Minnesota that maybe he wants to force a trade because he's not happy with his role in the offense. And now this is the quote that comes out of Diggs today. Um, you know, who knows what's, what his status is going to be on Sunday. This, this could go either way. Either they can hug and make up and everything is as normal and Diggs is wearing a, a Vikings helmet on Sunday against the Giants and goes out there and does his usual thing. Or... If uh, there is a fissure and a fracture in the relationship between Diggs and the Vikings, it's entirely possible that, that he doesn't play in the game. Well, it's not an injury issue right now, and we'll see whether or not he goes through a full practice today. I think that's the next indication. I did hear some of his comments earlier today. I have yet to see any formal practice report from the Vikings, but I'm assuming if he's back at the facility today that he's going to try to get some practice reps. So that, to me, would be an indication that perhaps he is willing to go out there. I think listening to a lot of the Giants' secondary members, Paul, and you know, this is related to a conversation we always have in games where you know fans and media members are questioning Saquon Barkley's touches, and then usually what happens the next game is you know they try to get Saquon Barkley a few additional touches. The Giants' secondary, in all of their interviews that they've had this week, they seem to believe that the Vikings are going to do everything in their power to make sure they air it out a little bit more this week. They're prepared for that, and it wouldn't surprise me if part of Kevin Stefanski, the Vikings offensive coordinator, his game plan is 
to take some chances with Kirk Cousins down the field and get the ball in the hands of Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs. That, that doesn't would mean be a they're mistake. not going to run the ball, okay? But I think that they may look to be a little bit aggressive in getting their wide receivers involved in the game a little bit early. That would not stun That would be a terrible mistake. If you're the Minnesota Vikings and you've run the ball 52% of the time, which is the second most in the National Football League, you've got Dalvin Cook, who's had three 100-yard games in the first four of the season. No, no. Especially with the Giants' inside linebackers as banged up as they are. They're looking at possibly having Mayo and maybe Davis or maybe Stupar being the two starting inside linebackers with only the third guy potentially being the backup on the inside. The Giants are very, very thin at inside linebacker right now. And if you're Dalvin Cook, you want that ball 25 times. And if you're the Vikings, that makes a lot of sense. Okay? To me... They should run the ball 30 times at least in this game, maybe 35 times. Cook should get at least 25 carries. He's probably chomping at the bit thinking he can run for 150 yards. Why shouldn't he feel that way? And that's the best thing you could do because if if you're the Vikings, to put the ball in Kirk Cousins' hands unnecessarily and have him start winging it around doesn't make any sense. You know, it just doesn't. Not not if they believe they're going to be able to pound it and run it up and down the field against the Giants' defense. Why would you throw it? Well, I, just, I, just just to satisfy the idiots in the media who are criticizing. No, I, I don't them? think it's so much that. And I when I say air it out, I guess I should be more specific. I'm not talking about that they're going to look for 40 to 50 yard bombs down the field. I'm talking about if they can attack the middle of the field, Paul. To your point, because the linebackers are banged up, you could still get Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs looks in the middle of the field by throwing the football. That's not impossible. They well, can look to attack that area of the field if they think the Giants' defense is susceptible. Again, if if they're going to get about 65 snaps during the course of this game, I think they'll run it at least 35 times. I mean, they're running it 52% of the time anyway. And the reason they didn't run it last week, what happened last week? What they, what they, Cook had like 15 yards of rushing in the first half on like eight carries because the Bears shut him down cold. Yeah. And what happened? The Vikings lost. Well, okay? they were also playing from behind the entire well, game. Too. Yeah, because Cook so, got shut down. Yeah. If you shut down Dalvin Cook and you put the game in Kirk Cousins' hands, chances are he will make mistakes. Not only did he turn the ball over several times the other day, he also got sacked six times because the Vikings' offensive line is not very good in pass protection. Five of the six sacks, did you know, came from between the tackles? Pressure from the gut, up the middle, in his windshield. That That is the worst kind of pressure that a, a, a statuesque type of quarterback like Cousins wants to deal with. So, no, it's fo- it's foolish for the Vikings to air it out this week. They should just ground and pound, and until the Giants prove that they can stop Dalvin Cook, they should just run the ball up and down the field. Seriously. Well, I'm sure they're going to lean on Dalvin Cook uh, to think that they're going to just abandon him. All I'm saying is, is that in an ideal world, I think the Vikings are going to strive for some additional balance because last week against the Bears, as I have the numbers here in front of me, they ran the ball 16 times as a team. That's between Cook and Madison. And then... Cousins threw the ball 36 times, but the reason why there wasn't as much balance is to your point. The Bears took away the Vikings' rushing attack. They were playing from behind, so Kirk was forced to throw the football. However, and this is where game flow is important when you break down the Vikings' statistics. I know a lot of people point to the fact that they're 31st in passing yards per game. It's because they've had two games where they were extremely lopsided. They got out in front early, and they just pounded the football. They didn't need to throw the football. And then they've had two other games where it's been more of playing catch-up. 
So, you know, that's why the numbers are a little misleading, I think, when you look at the Minnesota Vikings. Because the previous week against the Raiders, where they were leading the entire game and they won 34-14, to so this game, they run the ball 38 times and Kirk Cousins attempts 21 passes. Why is it flipped? It's because, once again, the running game had success. They controlled the clock. Kirk didn't need to throw the ball. But when Kirk needs to throw the ball, it's usually when they're playing from behind. So I think what they want to do is, if you're the Vikings, they want to have balance where they mix in Thielen and Diggs. And they keep the ball still running with Dalvin Cook. And they play from in front. And this way, Kirk's not forcing it. But at the same time, they're looking to get their receivers involved. That's the ideal game plan for the Minnesota Vikings. There's no doubt about that. 201-939-4513 is the telephone number. You can also interact with us on Twitter, hashtag GiantsChat. Let's open up the phone lines. But first, a reminder, Big Blue Kickoff Live brought to you by Coors Light. Enter to win the ultimate VIP game day experience courtesy of Coors Light. Text VIP to 90464 for more details. All right, Bruno is in Woodside. He gets us going here on the latest edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Bruno? Not much, fellas. Wood, originally from Woodside, Queens, down in Noonan, Georgia now, but I'm a, I'm a clean Woodside still. That's fair. We're not going to judge you, so it makes no difference <laughs> what city you want to align with. All right. Hey, um, so I, I'm just calling to talk about, um, I guess, the maybe the regression of Lorenzo Carter, B.J. Hill, just these, you know, these guys who were hoping for a step up in their sacking ability, but I'm, I'm looking at the stats now, and it's it's just kind of depressing to see still like it's been for years, our safeties are leading in tackles. You know, Antoine Bethay, Jabril Peppers, Janoris Jenkins, and Lorenzo Carter's down like the sixth one down. He only has half a sack that's tracking for – I know they come in bunches, don't get me wrong. But, I mean, right now he's tracking for two sacks for the whole year. B.J. Hill has none. And I'm looking at the NFL stats. I mean, a lot of the other teams, their leading tacklers are linebackers. So it, it, do you, is there anything I'm not seeing? Like are, are they regressing? Is it is it – is it this James Betcher's 3-4 defense, is it prone to have the secondary be the leading tacklers? Well, and also I, just the sacks, just your opinion, your thoughts on... Just remember on, you know, this. We're hoping to see improvements from those two in sacks. All right, just remember this. Um, when the Giants won the Super Bowl in 2007, Jabril Wilson, the free safety, was their leading tackler. Antrell yeah. Roll was their leading tackler in 2011 when they won the Super Bowl. Landon Collins was their leading tackler over the last few seasons. I so. mean, it, it, well, I but no, but, but I'm like. talking about two championship well, teams. No, but I'm also talking about <laughs> no, it's yeah. not the, unique for a no, safety to the, lead the, a team the, in tackles. The point is saying. it is not unusual, especially for a 3-4 defense, to have the leading tackler be one of the safeties. That's not unusual at all. It's a commonplace in the Thank NFL. You. And okay. as far yeah. as sacks go, keep in mind, last year B.J. Hill had five and a half. Three of those sacks came in one game. See, this is why you can't just look at sack numbers and say, well, why didn't he now pick up where he left off? If three of his five and a half sacks came in one game, do the math, Bruno, then what does that mean what he produced in the other 15 games? Okay. No, that, I got, I got that. I'm just, you know, you know here's here's what you we want to know. Giant fans were hoping to see. Well, but you know. I get it. But hope is not necessarily a game all right, plan. All right, hold on <laughs> a second. Now you're you're asking for production out of the front seven. Here's what I'm going to tell you. All right, the Giants right now have ten sacks, which is right in the mm-hmm. middle of the pack of the NFL. They've played four games. Last year, it took them seven games to get to ten sacks. So they're already ahead of last year's sack total, which was was, was horrific, as you know. They were down next yeah. to the bottom of the league 
what they have 31, as I recall? 30. Lance? Just 30. 30. Yeah. Okay. They've already got 10 after four games. So that's 40 for the season. And if you remember, my usual generic definition of a solid pass rush is that you'll get 42 sacks for the year. So they're kind of on par, okay? They're not doing badly. And in fact, two weeks ago against Tampa, they had 10 quarterback hits. Last week against the Redskins, they had eight quarterback hits. And seven sacks combined over the last two weeks. So what you should be doing is watching it how the front seven is actually progressing over the course of the first month of the season. There is no question they are getting better. Now, maybe not to the degree that you would like. You'd probably want it to be faster and more dramatic, and I get that. You can be impatient if you like, but that's not reality. Reality is they're taking a step up, and they are clearly, clearly much better off with their defensive front and their pass rush than they were at any time last season. Yeah, no, it's great to see Marcus Golden producing. You know, I just, oh, my I, goodness, I, I and he has a motor. would be better off if the other guys step up, but... But I'm glad to hear the total numbers. That's, you have a very valid point there, Paul. Yeah, Marcus Golden is a, is is turning yeah. out to to maybe really be something. I don't know if he's going to be the 2016 Marcus Golden, but he looks like he could be something much more similar to that than maybe we thought. Well, he's been very active the last few games, so that he I gets think after is it. an encouraging sign. Yeah. Thank you for the call. For sure. Thanks for waiting. Thank yes, sir. You got it. Two zero one nine three nine four five one three. Scott is in New Mexico. Scott, welcome to Big Blue Kickoff Live. What do you have for us? Hi, guys. Hi. Uh, I think both of you are actually right. I think, Lance, they will open it up a little bit more passing, and I think, uh, Paul, you're right. They need to concentrate on the run. But one thing that struck me that was kind of unusual when I saw the statistics, uh, Pro Football Focus has them ranked the third worst offense. I'm talking about Minnesota, the third worst offensive line in the NFL against the pass. And that's kind of an unusual statistic. I assume it's because... Uh, Kirk Cousins holds on to the ball for a very long time. He does tend to do that. He, should. he does tend to do that. That is that is correct. I would not deny that. But aside aside from some numbers that have been cooked up out of somebody's laboratory, uh, they do not have a very good pass protecting offensive line. Mm-hmm. And you can see that by looking on tape. You don't need to come up with somebody's computerized numbers right. just to know it. Yeah. In fact, there's a rumor looking at some of the Minnesota broadcasts that actually they're thinking of maybe substituting the center Bradbury for. Uh, Brett Jones, who used to play for the Giants. Yeah, sure. And, uh, but my real question is, with the lack of linebackers now available to the Giants, and now you have, as I said, the third worst offensive line against the pass, what do the Giants do? Are they going to blitz more? Because they don't, they're limited in personnel. And I yeah. was just wondering how you think they might attack that offensive line against the pass. Because I think, uh, Lance, to your point, they will open it up a little bit more, just based on the criticism alone. And I was just curious what you think the Giants can do with the lack of linebacker play. Yeah. Do they blitz more, or what, what transpires? Well, Scott, I, I got a couple of thoughts on this, and it's interesting you mentioned that. Now, first up, you're absolutely right about their pass protection. Now, last week against the Bears, who, by the way, have a terrific defense, Okay, and have a very nice uh, pass rusher in in uh, Khalil, Khalil Mack. Mack. Yeah. Last yeah, week the Bears got to, to Kirk Cousins six times. Did you know that five of those sacks came between the tackles from the inside? I did, and if you also know okay. that on those five of those six sacks, only four rushed the quarterback. Correct. Yeah. Well, because they Correct. also have really good individual pass rushers, though. Correct. Keep that in mind, yes. guys who win their battles. But but the point being that the Vikings offensive line does have soft areas 
within the tackles. So you don't necessarily have to come at them hard with an outside edge rush to get to Cousins. You're probably better off trying to go through the A gap or the B gap. Now, to do that, the Giants, in my mind, don't have the type of inside linebackers who can come on that blitz and and get home in time. So if you're going to do that, I would say it's going to have to be a safety blitz. Here's another. If you're going to do that. One other thing that I wanted to add before you continue, Scott, is the Vikings were also missing their starting right guard in the last game. Now, I'm not saying Josh Klein is a pro bowler. Okay. Concussion. I don't expect to see him. Well, they they had him limited in practice, so I think there's a chance he does return this weekend because he did miss the game and he had suffered the concussion the previous week. So this would be coming on about a two-week window. But the point is they were playing a backup at right guard. That, I think, is a big reason why Chicago capitalized on the interior, to your point, with some of its acts. Now, here's what I would do, Scott. I'm going to go back into the history books, as I often do, because I'm an old-school guy. I would pull out the Bill Belichick playbook from the 1990 playoff game against the Chicago Bears. Are you familiar with what Belichick did that day? Yes. Okay. Actually, yeah. <laughs> for, for those people who do not know, Neil Anderson was the Bears running back. Right. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help Lance out here since he's a yeah, youngster. Yes, help me out, please, because I, I don't know much about the archives. Thank the, you. The Bears, the Bears were a very strong running team, but did not have a tremendous amount to offer in the past. They were a heavy-duty right. run team. Now, the Vikings, again, are a heavy-duty run team. Although they've got some, some weapons on the outside, they are primarily a run-based team right now. So what yeah, Belichick that, did was well, to your to your point, uh, they haven't been consistent in the run, and they've had these long runs. Like Delvin Cook had a run of seventy-five yards against Green Bay, and that was really the bulk of their running attack against Green Bay. Yeah, but so that's I'm what just, happens with great backs: they pound, pound, pound until they break one. That that's right. not unusual, you know. In the meantime, while they're doing it, they're controlling the tempo and the climbing of the game and the clock which the Giants cannot afford to let happen or they'll lose. Well, and Alexander Madison is also another guy who's been getting a fair share of the reps, too. Right. Don't overlook him, really too. Good, right? Anyway, yeah. back to the history lesson. Yes, please. Okay. Teach me, teach so me what, what I so, did not so, know. Yes. So what happened? So the Giants get into this playoff game against the Bears, and Parcells and Belichick, at the time, the Giants were a 3-4. Remember, because they had Lawrence Taylor. They converted right. to 3-4 in 81. Wait, Lawrence Taylor played for the Giants? Yeah, he did. Okay, I'm sorry. Okay, just make sure. That. Okay, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> okay. Yeah, please, yeah, go He on. was the guy yeah. with the S on his oh, chest. Okay, I'm glad. Okay, Red I cape. was a little murky on that. Red okay. cape S on his chest. Good, okay. good. Okay. So, so they yeah. were 3-4. So Belichick and Parcells that week decided we're going to go to a heavy-duty 4-3 line. And they went with four down linemen for the entire game and a stand-up linebacker in Lawrence Taylor playing up on the line. So in effect, they had a five-man front, four defensive linemen down, and one stand-up linebacker. And that was their five-man. It was it was called a heavy front. So So... By doing that, they basically said to the Bears, go ahead, try to run it, see what you can do. We're going to stuff the crap out of your run, and we're going to force you to throw the ball. And I'll be honest with you, Scott, I would actually give that a shot if it were me. I'm a a creative guy. I'm a paisan. I like like to make things happen. And and if it were me, if it were me, I would actually give that front a chance to see if they could slow cook down early in the game and prompt the Vikings to then become one-dimensional because I think that's when Cousins gets in trouble. Okay. Well, uh, my last point, I'll take it off the air. If the Giants, again, are weak in the linebacking core, will they employ more uh, safeties or whatever or try to bring more people up front? Or do you think, based on your 
a scenario they'll just have more guys uh, lined up, uh, you know, on on the defensive line. Well, they went. You got it, Scott. I appreciate the phone call. They went with uh, a number of three safety looks in the last game, so I don't think that's crazy to think that they could adopt that again. Remember, a lot of it is going to be dictated based on the Vikings personnel and who the Vikings throw out there. Remember, Minnesota has Kyle Rudolph and Irv Smith. They've got two tight ends, so that I think is going to dictate what combinations James Betcher utilizes. Then, of course, you have Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs that you need to account for. So if James Betcher feels he's better off with an additional secondary guy, then maybe you see more of the three safety looks. Actually, Jabril Peppers was asked about the three safety look a few minutes ago in the locker room when we were there, and one of the things he said is he likes the three safety look in his personal opinion because he feels it keeps the defense guessing because they don't know, is somebody going to charge towards the box? Is somebody going to stay back? It keeps the offense on their toes. So I wouldn't be surprised, Paul, if we see maybe a little bit more of that, of course, depending on the Vikings personnel. The danger to that, and it's certainly something worth exploring. It's an option. Like I said, there was there are a few options here where you could go philosophically with the game plan. The three three safety look does give you the element of surprise. It does allow you to force the Vikings to keep guessing. I get that. At the same time, the three safety look is also susceptible to the power running game. And if the Vikings are smart and they see that, they should go with a heavy dose of the power running game. See, to me, and, and how many times have we heard this over the years, you know, you got to stop the run first as a defense. But you know what? In this particular matchup, that statement was never more true, Lance. And I mean that. The Giants must, they must contain Dalvin Cook in the first half of this game if they're going to have a reasonable chance to win. I really believe that. I think that is the one, two, and three priorities on the Giants' list. Aside from anything else they do on offense or special teams, they must contain Dalvin Cook, period. Got to be done. However you want to do it, fine. Come up with a scheme to do it. But to me, I don't see the Giants when, you know, Parcells used to tell us all the time, you know, not only do you line up your 22 against their 22 and check off each matchup and see who's got more checks, the other thing you do is you say, okay, reasonably, how many ways can we win this game? Reasonably. And you write them on a list. Then on the other side of the pad, how many ways reasonably can the other team win the game? What's the path to victory? I don't know that the Giants have much more than a crumbs percentage chance of winning the game if Dalvin Cook gets off on one of these 130-yard rushing Yeah, games. well, I mean, that's been the recipe for their two victories this season. He's gone off in I just each don't of those see two it. games. I mean, you tell me. No, you, I don't disagree here with that me. If Dalvin Cook gets yeah. off, can the Giants win the game? I think it's going to be very difficult for them to do that because I'm also looking at it from the defensive side, and we haven't really talked much about the Vikings' defense other than I ran through the personnel because if you look at the Vikings' defense thus far this season, Minnesota had one game that they gave up more than 21 points, and it was only 21 to the Packers. That was it. The Falcons scored 12. The Raiders scored 14. The Bears, even though they won, scored only 16 points, Paul. So there's no easy task to go in against the Vikings and think, oh, yeah, we'll score 25 to 30 points. That's more of a reason why if Cook goes off and is able to get big runs or even just chunks 
and put together lengthy, sustainable drives, yeah, I think it's going to put a lot of pressure on the Giants because I don't think the Giants are going into this game thinking, you know, we're going to score 25 to 30 points, which means you could win a low-scoring game, don't get me wrong, but it's going to be hard to win a low-scoring game if Cook is just dominating on the ground. You want Kirk Cousins to have more pass attempts than Dalvin Cook because that in all likelihood probably means that either it's a close game or mm -hmm. the Vikings are playing from behind. That's the ratio you want to strive for if you're the Giants. I agree with you one thousand percent Lance because ultimately if Cook is running the ball well and it's a low scoring game that means the Vikings will own the time of possession which is going to make it very difficult for the Giants to score points per minute and outscore the Vikings in a close game it's going to be very very hard to do well if you use that time of possession philosophy Paul and I'm just going to confirm this because I think I'm correct do you know how many possessions the Vikings had in the first half of the Bears game on Sunday I do not know two possessions that was it. They had the ball for two possessions. They had a nine-play, 28-yard drive that ended with a punt, and then a 12-play, 61-yard drive that ended with a fumble. That was it. That was the extent of the Vikings having the football in the first half. Now, granted, the Bears only had three possessions, but the Bears had two very lengthy drives. A 14-play drive that ate up over seven minutes, and a 16-play drive that ate up six and a half. So, if the Giants can put together lengthy drives, wear down the Vikings defense, and then force Kirk Cousins to throw the football, that obviously is the ideal recipe to knock off Minnesota. Sure. They want to be able to duplicate Chicago's game plan, but all they you don't need have to, Chicago's that's defense. That's what I was getting at. That's the major difference. See, when you go and you look at the blueprints for the Bears, it's one thing if you have guys like Khalil Mack and really good secondary and linebackers that know how to get after people and are aggressive. It's a little bit different for the Giants' perspective because they're very young at a position that the Bears are extremely strong. So that's something that you can't dismiss within the conversation. Let's head back to the phone lines. Big Blue Kickoff Live. He's Paul Dottino. I'm Lance Meadow. Don is in Fairfield. Don, welcome to the program. What do you got for us? Hey, uh, good afternoon, guys. I Hi. really enjoy your show. Thank Thanks you. for tuning in. Appreciate it. Hey, I've been listening to the discussion of the defenses the Giants are going to have to uh, put up against the Vikings. Who specifically, what is our linebacker lineup going to look like? And, uh, uh, you know, how well would the three safety, the second question, how well would the three safety defense do against uh, Cook? Well, that was something we were talking about earlier. I think that it gives the Vikings some different looks that they have to think about. You know, Paul had thrown out, you may become a little bit more susceptible against the run. Uh, Antoine Bethay, Jabril Peppers, Michael Thomas, you know, that's the three safeties that certainly they could easily rely on. Uh, Bethay, if you look at his numbers and Peppers, I mean, those are your two leading tacklers right now on the season. I don't think it would be a detriment to the Giants if they threw those three guys out there, especially given a number of their linebackers are backed up. I, I would expect the Giants to turn to that alignment and start off with it, see whether or not they're successful, and if anything, make changes. Because, you know, right now the Giants are hurting at the middle linebacker spot. Ryan Connolly was playing really good football, and he was also up there in terms of amongst the leading tacklers for the Giants. So you don't have him. Uh, Ogletree, highly unlikely he's going to play. So you're going to be relying on Nate Stupar. Okay, he knows the system, but... You know, he's been missing some time with the Giants because he wasn't with them, and David Mayo. And I, I don't know if the Giants want to expose those two guys in particular to having to stop 
Dalvin Cook for the majority of the game. So I think if you're Betcher, toying with the three safety look at the initial stages, Paul, once again, is something worthwhile, and then you make adjustments if you're struggling in that department. Here's what I will say. I will I will predict right now, and I, I don't like to make a lot of predictions. I like to just base things on logic and facts. But if you want a gut feel with a prediction here, I think the Giants will use more substitutions and rotations on defense than they have the entire season. I think you will see guys literally running in and out constantly, almost on a down and yardage basis. That, that's, that's what I think is going to happen. They are going to do a ton of situational substitutions, more so than any other time this year. Okay? Well, I, I, just my final point here. Yeah. I, I, I just was concerned about who's going to fill the gaps up front in, in the – with the Minnesota run game, which Giants are going to fill those Well, that's gaps. what we just tried to tell you, though. With with the multiple substitutions, it's going to have to be different guys on different plays. Team effort. It's not, it's not going to be just one guy or two guys. It's just not. I don't think the Giants match up well enough to do that. You know, we're not talking about having guys like Jim Burt, uh, uh, you know, playing nose tackle and Harry Carson on the inside and Gary Reasons and Steve Diossi playing inside linebacker. That's not the case here. The Giants don't have those guys. So they're going to have to mix and match based on yardage and distance, and guys are going to have to do the job they're called upon in those particular situations. Mayo, I'm looking at the snap count. Mayo against the Redskins played 69% of the defensive snaps, and Nate Stupar, he played only 4%. So, you know, once again, they were relying a lot on David Mayo. Then if you look at the three safeties, Peppers and Bethay played 100% of the defensive snaps. And And they will which is not a stunning surprise. Michael Thomas played about half, 49%. So Michael Thomas played more snaps than Nate Stupar. And we're not just talking about a very close margin, Paul. We're talking about a sizable disparity in terms of how many times Michael Thomas was out on the field, more so than Nate Stupar. So I would expect that to be more of the alignment, much more so than seeing Nate Stupar snaps exponentially increase and Michael Thomas going down. If Cook gets it going early in the game, well, you make that three safety pack. Well, that three safety package is and, out the window, and that's what I said. You start with that early, and then if it's not effective, then you yeah, make adjustments. By that time, you could be down fourteen nothing. Well, but you, you know, got you, listen. I, you could also put out more linebackers, and you could also see Dalvin Cook run wild too. That's you, not necessarily a guarantee. Well, to stop that's why I I would go with the extra defensive lineman myself. But that again, that there are there are so many, there, there are literally a handful of options here on philosophically how you want to approach this the bottom line for me is that i think you're going to see a ton a ton of substitutions virtually in every play have a good day appreciate the phone call don thanks so much for weighing in and as these young guys get more and more comfortable in the scheme you would think that betcher would be confident to play a number of them also skipper Okay, Tuzar Skipper, who was claimed off waivers from the Steelers, I think he's getting more and more comfortable. So you're starting to see his snap count go up, by the way. He played 29% of the snaps last game. Mm-hmm. So that's somebody else at the linebacker More of position. a pass rusher, though. More of a pass rusher, but I'm just uh, the point I'm making is, is that just like last year when you had those six waiver claims, you didn't start to see a number of those guys play until four to five games sure. into the season. You, no surprise, we're seeing it again, I think, trend in that direction. So uh, it wouldn't once again, be something that I think is a stretch to see James Betcher have confidence in some of these other guys as we're now a quarter of the way into the season. 
Certainly one thing that will help is that the Giants special teams have been terrific. The punt coverage unit in particular has done an outstanding job this year. And what you would like to think is that they will give the Vikings a very long field to work with as many times as possible. Oh, and that's what you want to do, especially if it's a team that relies on the run game. You know, force Dalvin Cook to have to do a lot of the heavy lifting, but for long, sustainable drives. You never want to give a team short field, no matter who the opponent is. And that's one of the things that, you know, the Giants are also going to have to be careful with in terms of protecting the football on offense, which is something that is a priority for every game. But the last two games, you've had now two turnovers each from Daniel Jones. So that's got to be a priority in this game because Minnesota can be an opportunistic defense. See, tilting the field isn't so much about forcing the Vikings to have long, sustainable drives. What it is, is that it, it changes their playbook. If you were constantly forcing them to start drives inside their own 30 or inside their own 20, they will, like every team in the NFL, they will adjust their playbook accordingly and they will be forced to try to run the ball more. Which, if you believe that you can stack up Cook, that's what you want. You want to be able to tilt the field, force them to try to lean on the run, And then if they can't do it and you're successful in stopping it, now all of a sudden Cousins is in a position where he has to start throwing more than the Vikings want him to. And if he's doing it from his own territory, well, now the turnovers and the takeaways come into play because that's when Cousins tends to get sloppy with the ball. Well, they're already pounding the football so much, whether they have a short field or a long field. So I I don't know how much that would necessarily change philosophy. But they will be less to throw it if they're deep in their own territory. Well, I think less inclined to. Once again, I don't think most teams want to put that's the their point. quarterback in a precarious but that's spot the point. they're back against the wall. That's yeah. why you want special teams when they say complimentary football. You want special teams to help put the Vikings in a position where they're going to really lean on the run. You want to force them to lean on the run with the thought that you're going to stack up against the run and try to limit it. Yeah, But it all goes back to being able to execute. And stop oh, yeah. the run. I mean, hey, you can you put them execute, in a position. You, win, period. Yeah, you can put them in a position where you're like, okay, they're going to have to run the football, and then if you don't make stops and you have manageable third downs, then it completely defeats the purpose. So at the end of the day, it's all about execution. And a relatable note, you know, Pat Shermer's been asked this week. Mike Zimmer's been asked a lot this week about the familiarity on both sides because Shermer worked under Zimmer 2016, started off as the tight ends coach, became interim OC. 17 was the OC for the entire year. So. They've been practicing against Shermer's offense most of this group for two seasons. And at the same time, Shermer's very familiar with Mike Zimmer's defense and George Edwards, who was the defensive coordinator there for the two years when Shermer was on the offensive staff. But we had a similar conversation when we were talking about the Bucks because of Bruce Arians' knowledge, Paul, of James Betcher and the fact that Todd Bowles groomed James Betcher. And we could sit here and analyze... They're going to know a few different tricks that they may have up on their sleeve. That's fine. If the players don't execute, it doesn't mean anything. And Correct. Zimmer spoke of that. Shermer has even spoken of that. Yeah, we know each other's jargon. We know each other's philosophies. But if our players don't make the necessary stops, lean on the fundamentals that we're teaching, it really doesn't matter how comfortable you are with the opposing scheme. 201-939-4513 is the telephone number. Hashtag... Giants chat on Twitter. We go to the phone lines again. Clay is in Brooklyn. Clay, welcome to Big Blue Kickoff Live. What do you got for us? Hey, guys. How are you today? Hi. Right, Love the What's show, as always. Um, a couple of things I wanted to talk about this week. I think that uh, Dexter Lawrence is going to be really key. Um, first of all, I, I think he's having a great season. He's really getting a lot of push, and he's occupying a lot of blockers. 
Um, I didn't hear you guys talk about it, and I did step away from the, the screen for a minute, so maybe you did, about um, the rookie that they've added for this game, Joseph Tarifa. I think that he and Lorenzo Carter are actually going to get a lot of look at inside linebacker. Tawafa? Uh, yeah, Josiah Tawafa yeah. you're talking about. Yeah, from, yeah. from uh, San Antonio. Yeah. Correct. I think he and, and Lorenzo Carter are going to play a lot of inside linebacker. I, I'll tell you why. I think Marcus Golden, O'Shane Zimenez, and um, Tuzar Skipper, I think is how you yep. say his name, and Correct. Chris Peace, all these, you know, these new guys are, are known for their edge pressure, and Minnesota's tackles are weak. So I think we match up well with those guys, and we can spare Lorenzo this week to put him on the inside, he, which he has played. He, you know, he's, he's gotten his share of snaps on the inside um, you know, since he's been here. Uh, not as many as on the outside, of course, but but I think he's a solid contributor to the inside, which is where our weakest spot, spot is. And we can afford – I'd rather have him on the inside than a whole lot of Nate Stupar. And I think that Zimenez, Golden, Skipper, and Peace can beat their tackles. So I'm curious what you think about that. Well, Brian O'Neill is their right tackle for the Vikings. He's actually been playing really good football uh, since he took over as a rookie last year. Uh, they've been very fond of his play. He didn't give up a sack last year, and uh, I think he's been solid this year. So you know, I don't know how much necessarily of an advantage it is against Brian O'Neill. And Riley Reef is a veteran left tackle who's been with the team for three seasons, and prior to that he was with the Detroit Lions. And as I mentioned, there's some injuries on the interior. So, you know, I don't. I wouldn't spell it out to say that the Giants have a significant advantage to just say, hey, guys, go out on an island in the pass rushing department, and then, you know, that'll free up the interior to just attack those guys from the inside. I don't think there's any doubt that they're having trouble with their pass protection this year. I'm not as high on the guys as Lance, although I liked O'Neal coming out of school. <laughs> And I liked Riley Reef a few years ago as a free agent. But both of those guys are having their troubles. The question becomes, right. uh, so you know, this, yeah, but this is not Tuck and O.C. Yeah. and Strahan and Lawrence Taylor and those kinds of guys. That's not who we're talking about here. <laughs> no, of course You know, course so, not, I mean, are they, are they susceptible to giving up pressures and, and making mistakes and giving up gaps and creases? There is no question about that. And if you're the Giants, you want to be able to take advantage of it. And this increasingly productive pass rush over the last two weeks makes me believe that the Giants have a chance to get some pressure on Cousins. But that's not going to happen if Cook runs all over them in the first half. Right, which is why I'm saying I think Carr in the middle helps us reduce their running game. My goal is to stop the running game. I think Dexter Lawrence is going to have his way with Garrett Bradbury, who has not shown me much at all. And I think that well, remember Tomlinson in the standard three-four set. Tomlinson's yeah. playing the nose tackle spot. See, this is one of the reasons why right. I would go to four defensive linemen. I'd go four defensive right. linemen because I would put Tomlinson and Lawrence as my two down defensive tackles. Okay, right. in early downs. Remember, oh, love, and when I, I say this, please let me explain something. When I say go four defensive linemen with the stand-up edge rusher and Golden, what I'm talking about is on early downs. Okay, right, because right, right. now you're either you stop the run. right, because if the Vikings think they're going to pound it into that brick wall, I'd like to believe the Giants can hold up with Tomlinson and Lawrence on the inside of that five man front. I'd like to think that they could stymie cook. Maybe they can't. Maybe I'm a fool and that won't work. But I think it could. If those two big oh, bodies are, are in the A gap, honestly, I don't even know that we have to go with a four man front. I just think that Dexter uh, Lawrenson and Dalvin Tomlinson, if the uh, three of them are on the field together, I think that can really lock up 
you know, they they've been getting penetration every play. Like they they obviously rotate out a lot, but when the three of them are in the field, teams don't run against them. Look, I'd I'd love to see it. I'd I'd love to see it. See. I, I'm one of these guys who wants to dictate to the other team what's going to happen. I, I don't. I don't want to wait and see. Like, oh, I, I think my guys can hold up. I like to be aggressive and I like to dictate. You know, Parcells used to say all the time, "Impose your will on the opposition." You want to get them thinking. You want to get them trying to do stuff that's not normal for them because they don't necessarily believe and have the confidence in doing what they do. They think you're going to take it away from them, which is why I would personally go five-man front. I, but I, what I'm trying to avoid is Josiah Telefa and David Mayo and Nate Stupar rotating in as our two inside linebackers. I feel like we got to add something else. Well, to hopefully Tay Davis wanna, will be back. I want to put Lorenzo in there. Yeah, Tay Davis, Davis yeah. may be back. Uh, again, we, we don't I, I we don't know for sure. Concerned. When we In the media portion of the practice today, he did not have the yellow jersey on. So I would say okay. there's a possibility he went through the linebacker drills without wearing the yellow jersey. So I'd say there's a possibility oh, Tay Davis would be back, and that would help. Yeah, and I'm yeah. looking at the updated practice report from today. Lorenzo Carter, Tay Davis, Goldman were limited. Solder and Zeitler were full participants, and Barkley and Ogletree did not practice. So, now remember right, one, nice. one other thing, too. Even though Carter played uh, every position in the linebacking core when he was at Georgia— right. Since he's been here, they don't want to mess with him. They've decided you are the strong sideline backer, and that's where you're going to stay. And I, I don't mind telling you, I've talked to him about that, and he is very happy that they've allowed him to hone in on one position. So I don't think I'd be too too anxious to suddenly make him the middle guy in this defense on Sunday. Yeah, I think they want him to focus on the area of his strength as opposed to sure. you know play a game of musical chairs with his alignment. So I would personally also be very surprised to see him move to the inside very often throughout the course of this game. I, I think they have confidence in the guys that are already playing in the interior. I do think, you know, if Josiah Tauefa is active, you know, he's certainly somebody that he could turn to in the middle of the defense at linebacker because he was extremely active in the preseason. So that would be a guy that I think would make sense if they don't go to the three safety alignment. Tawa Effa would right. be a guy that could play the linebacker position and help, you know, come down in the box and chase after Dalvin Cook. So that, to me, is a logical And, and I agree. Direction. I was surprised he didn't make the, the roster. But I'll be honest, I also thought Corey Ballantyne looked great in preseason, and they haven't put any, you know, responsibility in his lap. So it makes me nervous about Tawa Effa until I actually see it in the game. Yeah. And again, uh, and, 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 and and tackles in the game. The as my inside linebackers, that, that's what... That's what I'm trying to avoid. Yeah, Josiah had eight tackles in the preseason game against the Bengals, which was his best performance of the exhibition schedule. But in all honesty, uh, I, I kind of thought, and it's a shame he's on injury reserve because they can't go get him. I thought Jonathan Anderson, the former Bear, was actually pretty productive as an inside backer during the preseason games. But he is not uh, eligible to come back. He's, he's uh, on IR for the season because he was put on before the 53 was finalized. Right, right. Have a good day. All, All right, Clay. Well, guys, thanks so much. I Thank you. Good time. Yep, appreciate the phone call. Thanks so much for weighing in. Uh, let's uh, check out Twitter. I know a number of people are uh, throwing out some comments in relation to the topics at hand. Uh, at Adam Carl 13 how is Sam Beal looking? Do you think there's a chance to get on the field for him and contribute the second half of the season? Well, when you're on IR, you can't practice for the first six weeks, so there's really no update. 
as far as Sam Beal is concerned. Correct. These guys, they're not allowed to run around or anything because they're restricted because of injured reserve well, rules. Well, they can only be so. with the trainers on the side. They can yeah. run, but with the but trainers. But the point is, you're not being able to right. tell anything at this point Correct. in terms of progress. So, Correct. Uh, I don't think that's necessarily uh, anything to uh, go crazy about. Um, I think Clayton, who we just heard from at Clayton Harden 14, said, no, it's very unusual for non-linebackers to lead their teams in tackles. Bethay was the only non-linebacker in the top 17 in tackles last year. Well, I didn't look at necessarily the full rankings of every single player, but if you look at the Giants, they've had plenty of safeties lead their team in tackles. So Roll and uh, Collins over the course yeah. of the last so, how many years now have always been up there. I don't think it's unusual. And if you also go to Antoine Bethay, Bethay's been the leader of his respective teams in tackles. And Bethay's been on multiple teams during the course of his it's career. It's not uncommon. Yeah. That's the point. So I, be careful with making bold declarations after just looking at the 2018 stats. Heck. You got to look at a much larger sample size. Want to take a guess? How many times did Lawrence Taylor lead the Giants in tackles? Zero. Well, there you go. Greatest defensive I, player who's ever walked the face of an NFL field. Zero times did he lead his team in tackles. Doesn't mean anything. Yeah. But, I mean, just because you want your linebackers to lead your team in tackles, and I'm sure everybody doesn't want their safe safeties to lead because then that means that they weren't getting to the third layer of the defense. But you have safeties that are there for a reason, to be aggressive, to run to multiple spots on the field. Depends and do on the how heavy you play it. Yeah, of course. It all depends on the scheme. But A lot of it is scheme, and then, and then there are times, and I'm not going to lie to you folks, there are times when your front seven is so weak that your safety has to lead the team in tackles by default. That does happen. The point is, though, it is not a, um, an automatic assumption, you know, because there are too many other times where it's actually by design. 201-939-4513 is the telephone number. Hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. An opportunity for you to weigh in on social media throughout the course of our program if you can't get to the phones because we certainly will be continuing to monitor hashtag Giants Chat. This comes from at NYG Mia fan. Shermer saying Saquon could possibly return this week is a bluff to get Minnesota to game plan for him. But if he does end up playing, I will never doubt Saquon ever again. And that was one of the things we threw out. As I said, Paul, there is no incentive for Pat Shermer to make an announcement in the middle of the week None. that Saquon Barkley is definitely out of the game. What exactly does he gain from making that statement? Nothing. Nothing. So On Friday, as he explained, he has to give an updated injury report and a status report as per league rules. Until that time, there is absolutely no reason for him to say that the guy will play or won't play. And as I've said to people on Twitter, and I've had people ask about, well, what's going to happen? Look, I'm not giving you an opinion. I'm simply reporting to you guys what we see and what has been said. I, I will leave the guesswork to people who want to throw mud against the wall. As Pat Shermer said, there are those outside the building whose doctors gave a prognosis without ever seeing the player. And, and, and Coach Shermer is, uh, you know, kind of kind of with a grin on his face. Well, those doctors aren't our doctors. Our doctors know what the situation is. And that's just the way it is. You know, that, that's always the danger in, in being, you know, in the guesswork, the speculation. When, when you, you're going to people outside the building and they really don't know, they just start throwing numbers against the wall and they hope that they're right. Well, and that's why also players get multiple 
diagnoses from different doctors because they are saying to themselves, just because one guy says I'm going to be out for eight weeks doesn't mean that another sure. doctor doesn't see it from a Saquon different perspective. Saquon himself went for a second yeah, opinion. Exactly. So, you know, that's more I mean, of a reason why you want to gather as much info as possible. I mean, look, I will tell you, it's always been my experience that it is most preferable, despite what Coach Shermer said about Saquon, you know, that uh, he doesn't necessarily have to practice, but he's got to show him some things. My experience in the league has been it is most preferable if the guy at least takes some practice snaps before he takes the field on Sunday. That is that is an opinion and, and an observation over years and years of experience that I'm willing to give you. But that's a generic opinion about most situations. Uh, very rarely have I seen coaches. Mark Bavaro was one of them. When Bavaro had his bad knee, he had the microfracture. Parcells did not require him to practice during the week. And he could still out go out there on Sunday and play. He did it the whole season. Plexical Burris did that with Coughlin. Uh, My Bradshaw, Bradshaw I was say. did that with yeah. Coughlin. It has happened. Okay, It's not preferable. It does not happen often. That's a fact. Yeah. I'm not giving you an opinion. That's a fact. Yeah, and that's why I think based on the info right now, Barkley has not practiced each of the last two days. So the, the odds would shot. be against it. Yes. I don't think there's any shot. question. The odds would be against it. But does that mean it's impossible? No. No. Yeah. It depends on, you know, what the Giants training staff and their medical staff sees out of Barkley. But, you know, keep in mind, the Giants also have another quick turnaround game coming up after Sunday's game against the Vikings. They go to New England. So I'm sure all of that is usually taken into consideration when you think about throwing a player out there extremely quickly. And, you know, here's the other side of things. I think that what they got out of Wayne Goldman was also a positive, Paul. N nobody's sure. really talked about that. Now, that doesn't mean that you hold the player back because you like what the backup did, but the Giants feel between Goldman and Hilleman and how they were able to run the football, how Goldman was involved as a receiver, that they're more than confident that they can execute their game plan with the other running backs on the roster. Yep. And if you didn't feel that way, then those guys shouldn't be on the roster to begin with. So I think Wayne Goldman himself is confident, and I think the Giants coaching staff is confident that he can handle the bulk of the reps with Barkley continuing to be sidelined. Well, look, Goldman had over 115 yards combined from scrimmage and catching and receiving touchdown. I know he did have a fumble inside Giants territory. I know Hilleman fumbled inside the five of, uh, of the Redskins. Those things are not things that you want to see, but certainly they were able to move the chains and be productive. All right, that is going to wrap up the latest edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. It is brought to you by Coors Light. Enter to win the ultimate VIP game day experience. Courtesy of Coors Light, text VIP to 90464 for more details. Appreciate everybody for tuning in. Big Blue Kickoff Live up and running again tomorrow at 1.30 p.m. Eastern. It's the Giants and Vikings on Sunday as we will continue to set the table for the Giants' upcoming contest. For Paul Dettino, I'm Lance Meadow. Enjoy the rest of your Thursday and always stay locked to Giants.com. Have a good one.